24. And strength of mind often observable in youths and young men is largely induced by this destructive and deadly sin. 6. Large numbers of youths pass from an exhausted boyhood into the weakness, intermittent fevers, and consumption, which are said to carry off so many. If the deaths were attributed primarily to loss of strength occasioned by self-pollution, it would be much nearer the truth. It is monstrous to suppose that a boy who comes from healthy parents should decline and die. Without a shade of doubt the chief cause of decay and death amongst youths and young men, is to be traced to this baneful habit. 7. It is a well-known fact that any man who desires to excel and retain his excellence as an accurate shot, an oarsman, a pedestrian, a pugilist, a first-class cricketer, bicyclist, student, artist, or literary man, must abstain from self-pollution and fornication. Thousands of schoolboys and students lose their positions in the class, and are plucked at the time of their examination by reason of failure of memory, through lack of nerve and vital force, caused mainly by draining the physical frame of the seed which is the vigor of the life. 8. It is only true to say that thousands of young men in the early stages of a licentious career would rather lose a right hand than have their mothers or sisters know what manner of men they are. From the side of the mothers and sisters it may also be affirmed that, were they aware of the real character of those brothers and sons, they would wish that they had never been born. 9. Let it be remembered that sexual desire is not in itself dishonorable or sinful, any more than hunger, thirst, or any other lawful and natural desire is. It is the gratification by unlawful means of this appetite which renders it so corrupting and iniquitous. 10. Leisure means the opportunity to commit sin, and clean pictures are sought after and feasted upon. Paragraphs relating to cases of divorce and seduction are eagerly read. Papers and books of an immoral character and tendency greedily devoured. Low and disgusting conversation indulged in and repeated. 11. The practical and manly counsel to every youth and young man island entire abstinence from indulgence of the sexual faculty until such time as the marriage relationship is entered upon. Neither is there, nor can there be, any exception to this rule. 12. No man can affirm that self-denial ever injured him. On the contrary, self-restraint has been liberty, strength and blessing. Beware of the deceitful streams of temporary gratification, whose eddying current drifts towards license, shame, disease and death. Remember, how quickly moral power declines, how rapidly the edge of the fatal maelstrom is reached, how near the vortex. How terrible the penalty! How fearful the sentence of everlasting punishment! 13. Be a young man of principle, honor, and preserve your powers. How can you look an innocent girl in the face when you are degrading your manhood with the vilest practice? Keep your mind and life pure and nobility will be your crown. Remedies for the social evil. 1. Man responsible. Every great social reform must begin with the male sex. They must either lead, or give it its support. Prostitution is a sin wholly of their own making. All the misery, all the lust, as well as all the blighting consequences, are chargeable wholly to the uncontrolled sexual passion of the male. To reform sinful women, reform the men, teach them that the physiological truth means permanent moral, physical and mental benefit, while seductive indulgence blights and ruins. 2. Contagious diseases. A man or woman cannot long live an impure life without sooner or later contracting disease which brings to every sufferer not only moral degradation, but often serious and vital injuries and many times death itself becomes the only relief. 3. Should it be regulated by law? Dr. G.J. Ziegler, of Philadelphia, 
in several medical articles says that the act of sexual connection should be made in itself the solemnization of marriage, and that when any such single act can be proven against an unmarried man, by an unmarried woman, the latter be at once invested with all the legal privileges of the wife. By bestowing this power on women very few men would risk the dangers of the society of a dissolute and scheming woman who might exercise the right to force him to a marriage and ruin his reputation and life. The strongest objection of this would be that it would increase the temptation to destroy the purity of married women, for they could be approached without danger of being forced into another marriage. But this objection could easily be harmonized with a good system of well-regulated laws. Many means have been tried to mitigate the social evils but with little encouragement. In the city of Paris a system of registration has been inaugurated and houses of prostitution are under the supervision of the police. Yet prostitution has not been in any degree diminished. Similar methods have been tried in other European towns, but without satisfactory results. 4. Moral influence. Let it be an imperative to every clergyman, to every educator, to every statesman and to every philanthropist, to every father and to every mother to impart that moral influence which may guide and direct the youth of the land into the natural channels of morality, chastity and health. Then, and not till then, shall we see righteous laws and rightly enforced for the mitigation and extermination of the modern house of prostitution, the selfish slaves of doses of disease and death. 1. Most devilish intoxication. What is the most devilish, subtle alluring, and conquerable, hopeless and deadly form of intoxication? with which science struggles and to which it often succumbs, which eludes the restrictive grasp of legislation, lurks behind lace curtains, hides in luxurious boudoirs, haunts the solitude of the study, and with waxen face, furtive eyes and palsied step totters to the secret recesses of its self-indulgence, it is the drunkenness of drugs, and woe be unto him that crosseth the threshold of its dream curtain portal, for though gifted with the strength of Samson, the courage of Richard and the genius of Archimedes, he shall never return, and of him it is written that forever he leaves hope behind. 2. The Material Satan. The Material Satan in this sensuous syndicate of soul and body destroying drugs is opium, and next in order of hellish potency come cocaine and chloral. 3. Dumopium. Dumopium, from which the sulfate of morphine is made, is the dried juice of the poppy, and is obtained principally in the Orient. Taken in moderate doses it acts specially upon the nervous system, deadens sensibility, and the mind becomes inactive. When used habitually and excessively it becomes a tonic, which stimulates the whole nervous system, producing intense mental exaltation and delusive visions. When the effects wear off, proportionate lassitude follows, which begets an insatiate and insane craving for the drug, under the repeated strain of the continually increasing doses which have to be taken to renew the desired effect, the nervous system finally becomes exhausted, and mind and body are utterly and hopelessly wrecked. 4. Cocaine. Cocaine is extracted from the leaves of the Peruvian cocoa tree, and exerts a decided influence upon the nervous system, somewhat akin to that of coffee. It increases the heart action and is said to be such an exhilarant that the natives of the Andes are enabled to make extraordinary forced marches by chewing the leaves containing it. Its after-effects are more depressing even than those of opium, and insanity more frequently results from its use. 5. Chloral. The name which is derived from the first two syllables of chlorine and alcohol, is made by passing dry chlorine gas in a continuous stream through absolute alcohol for six or eight weeks. It is a hypnotic or sleep-producing drug, 
and in moderate doses acts on the caliber of the blood vessels of the brain, producing a soothing effect, especially in cases of passive congestion. Some patent medicines contain chloral, bromide and theosiamuse, and they have a large sale, being bought by persons of wealth, who do not know what they are composed of and recklessly take them for the effect they produce. 6. Victims rapidly increasing. From my experience, said a leading and conservative druggist, I infer that the number of what are termed opium, cocaine, and chloral things is rapidly increasing, and is greater by two or three hundred percent than a year ago, with twice as many women as men represented. I should say that one person out of every fifty is a victim of this frightful habit, which claims its doomed votaries from the extremes of social life, those who have the most and the least to lie for, the upper classes and the Cyprian, professional men of the finest intelligence. 50% of whom are doctors and walk into the pit with eyes wide open, and lawyers and other professional men must be added to this fate advice. 7. Destroys the moral fiber. It is a habit which utterly destroys the moral fiber of its slaves, and makes unmitigated liars and thieves and forgers of them, and even murder might be added to the list of crimes, were no other road left open to the gratification of its insatiate and insane appetite. I do not know of a single case in which it has been mastered, but I do know of many where the end has been unspeakable misery, disgrace, suffering, insanity and death. 8. Shameful death. To particularize further would be profitless so far as the beginners are concerned, but would to heaven that those not within the shadow of this shameful death would take warning from those who are. There are no social or periodical drunkards in this sort of intoxication. The vice is not only solitary and social and utterly selfish, but incessant and increasing in its demands. 9. Appetite stronger than for liquor. This appetite is far stronger and more uncontrollable than that for liquor, and we can spot its victim as readily as though he were an ordinary bummer. He has a pallid complexion, a shifting, shuffling manner and can't look you in the face. If you manage to catch his eye for an instant you will observe that its pupil is contracted to an almost invisible point. It is no exaggeration to say that he would barter his very soul for that which indulgence has made him too poor to purchase, and where artifice fails he will grovel in abject agony of supplication for a few grains, at the same time he resorts to all kinds of miserable and transparent shifts, to conceal his degradation, he never buys for himself, but always for some fictitious person, and often resorts to purchasing from distant points. 10. Opium Smoking Opium Smoking said another representative druggist, is almost entirely confined to the Chinese and they seem to thrive on it. Very few others hit the pike that we know of. 11. Malt and alcoholic drunkenness. Alcoholic stimulants have a record of woe second to nothing. Its victims are annually marching to drunkards' graves by the thousands. Drunkards may be divided into three classes. First, the accidental or social drunkard. Second, the periodical or spasmodic drunkard. And third, the sot. 12. The accidental OR social drunkard is yet on safe ground. He has not acquired the dangerous craving for liquor. It is only on special occasions that he yields to excessive indulgence, sometimes in meeting a friend, or at some political blowout. On extreme occasions he will indulge until he becomes a helpless victim, and usually as he grows older occasions will increase, and step by step he will be laid nearer to the precipice of ruin. 13. The periodical OR spasmodic drunkard, with whom it is always the unexpected which occurs, 
and who at intervals exacts from his accumulated capital the usury of as prolonged a spree as his nerves and stomach will stand. Science is inclined to charitably label this specimen of man a sort of a physiologic puzzle, to be as much pitted as blamed, given the benefit of every doubt. When he starts off on one of his hilarious tangents, he becomes a howling nuisance, if he has a family, keeps them continually on the ragged edge of apprehension, and is unanimously pronounced a holy terror by his friends. His life and future is an uncertainty. He is unreliable and cannot be long trusted. Total reformation is the only hope, but it rarely is accomplished. 14. The sob. A blunt term that needs no defining, for even the children comprehend the hopeless degradation it implies. Laws to restrain and punish him are framed, societies to protect and reform him are organized, and mostly in vain. He is prone in life's very gutter, bloated, reeking and polluted with the doggery slots and filth. He can fall but a few feet lower and not until he stumbles into an unmarked, and honored grave, where kind mother earth and the merciful mantle of oblivion will cover and conceal the awful wreck he made of God's own image, to the casual observer, the large majority of the community, these three phases, at whose vagaries many laugh, and over whose consequences millions mourn, comprehend intoxication and its results, from the filling of the cup to its shattering fall from the nerveless hand, and this is the end of the matter, would to God that it were, for at that it would be bad enough, but it is not, for wife, children and friends must suffer and drink the cup of trouble and sorrow to its dregs, object lessons of the effects of alcohol and cigarette smoking, by Professor George Henkel, who personally made the post-mortem examinations and drew the following illustrations from the diseased organs just as they appeared when first taken from the bodies of the unfortunate victims, illustration, the stomach of an habitual drinker of alcoholic stimulants, showing the ulcerated condition of the mucous membrane, incapacitating this important organ for digestive functions. Illustration, the liver of a drunkard who died of cirrhosis of the liver, also called granular liver, or gin drinker's liver. The organ is much shrunken and presents rough, and even edges, with carbon cooler non-suppurative source. In this self-inflicted disease the tissues of the liver undergo a cicatrical retraction which strangulates and partly destroys the parenchyma of the liver. Illustration, the kidney of a man who died a drunkard, showing in upper portion the sores so often found on kidneys of hard drinkers, and in the lower portion, the obstruction formed in the internal arrangement of this organ. Alcohol is a great enemy to the kidneys, and after this poison has once set in on its destructive course in these organs no remedial agents are known to exist to stop the already established disease. Illustration, the kidney in health, with the lower section removed, to show the filtering apparatus Malphigian pyramids, natural size. Illustration, the lungs and heart of a boy who died from the effects of cigarette smoking, showing the nicotine sediments in lungs and shrunken condition of the heart, the destructive effects of cigarette smoking. Cigarettes have been analyzed, and the most physicians and chemists were surprised to find how much opium is put into them. A tobacconist himself says that, the extent to which drugs are used in cigarettes is appalling. Havana flavoring, for this same purpose is sold everywhere by the thousand barrels. This flavoring is made from the tonka bean, which contains a deadly poison. The wrappers, warranted to be rice paper, are sometimes made of common paper and sometimes of the filthy scrapings of rag pickers bleached white with arsenic. What a thing for human lungs! The habit burdens of good health, good resolutions, good manners, good memories, good faculties, 
and often honesty and truthfulness as well. Cases of epilepsy, insanity and death are frequently reported as the result of smoking cigarettes, while such physicians as Dr. Lewis Sayer, Dr. Hammond, and Sir Morel McKenzie of England, name heart trouble, blindness, cancer and other diseases as occasioned by it. Leading physicians of America unanimously condemn cigarette smoking as one of the vilest and most destructive evils that ever befell the youth of any country, declaring that its direct tendency is a deterioration of the race. Look at the pale, wilted complexion of a boy who indulges to excessive cigarette smoking. It takes no physician to diagnose his case, and death will surely mark for his own every boy and young man who will follow up the habit. It is no longer a matter of guess. It is a scientific fact which the microscope in every case verifies. The dangerous vices. Few persons are aware of the extent to which masturbation or self-pollution is practiced by the young of both sexes in civilized society. Symptoms. The hollow, sunken eye, the blanched cheek, the withered hands, and emaciated frame, and the listless life, have other sources than the ordinary illnesses of all large communities. When a child, after having given proofs of memory and intelligence, experiences daily more and more difficulty in retaining and understanding what is taught him. It is not only from unwillingness and idleness, as is commonly supposed, but from a disease eating out life itself, brought on by a self-abuse of the private organs. Besides this low and progressive derangement of his or her health, the diminished energy of application, the languid movement, the stooping gait, the desertion of social games, the solitary walk, late rising, livid and sunken eye, and many other symptoms, will fix the attention of every intelligent and competent guardian of youth that something is wrong, married people, nor are many persons sufficiently aware of the ruinous extent to which the amative propensity is indulged by married persons, the matrimonial ceremony does, indeed, sanctify the act of sexual intercourse, but it can by no means atone for nor obviate the consequences of its abuse. Excessive indulgence in the married relation island perhaps, as much owing to the force of habit, as to the force of the sexual appetite, extreme youth, more lamentable still is the effect of inordinate sexual excitement of the young and unmarried, it is not very uncommon to find a confirmed onanist, or, rather, masturbator, who has not yet arrived at the period of puberty, many cases are related in which young boys and girls, from 8 to 10 years of age, were taught the method of self-pollution by their older playmates, and had made serious encroachments on the fund of constitutional vitality even before any considerable degree of sexual appetite was developed. Force of habit. Here, again, the fault was not in the power of passion, but in the force of habit. Parents and guardians of youth cannot be too mindful of the character and habits of those with whom they allow young persons and children under their charge to associate intimately and especially careful should they be with whom they allow them to sleep. Sin of ignorance. It is customary to designate self-pollution as among the vices. I think misfortune is the more appropriate term. It is true, that in the physiological sense, it is one of the very worst transgressions of the law. But in the moral sense it is generally the sin of ignorance in the commencement, and in the end the passive submission to a morbid and almost resistless impulse. Quacks. The time has come when the rising generation must be thoroughly instructed in this matter, that quack-specific ignorance has been experimented with quite too long already. The true method of ensuring all persons, young or old, against the abuses of any part, organ, function, or faculty of the wondrous machinery of life, is to teach them its use.
train a child in the way it should go, or be sure it will, amid the ten thousand surrounding temptations, find out a way in which it should not go. Keeping a child in ignorant innocence is, I aver, no part of the training which has been taught by a wiser than Solomon. Boys and girls do know, will know, and must know, that between them are important anatomical differences and interesting physiological relations. Teach them, I repeat, their use, or expect their abuse. Hardly a young person in the world would ever become addicted to self-pollution if he or she understood clearly the consequences, if he or she knew at the outset that the practice was directly destroying the bodily stamina, vitiating the moral tone, and enfeebling the intellect. No one would pursue the disgusting habit if he or she was fully aware that it was blasting all prospects of health and happiness in the approaching period of manhood and womanhood. General Symptoms of the Secret Habit the effects of either self-pollution or excessive sexual indulgence, appear in many forms. It would seem as if God had written an instinctive law of remonstrance, in the innate moral sense, against this filthy vice. All who give themselves up to the excesses of this debasing indulgence, carry about with them, continually, a consciousness of their defilement, and cherish a secret suspicion that others look upon them as debased beings. They feel none of that manly confidence and gallant spirit and chase delight in the presence of virtuous females, which stimulate young men to pursue the course of ennobling refinement, and mature them for the social relations and enjoyments of life. This shamefacedness, or unhappy quailing of the countenance, on meeting the look of others, often follows them through life, in some instances even after they have entirely abandoned the habit, and became married men and respectable members of society. In some cases, the only complaint the patient will make on consulting you, is that he is suffering under a kind of continued fever, he will probably present a hot, dry skin, with something of a hectic appearance, though all the ordinary means of arresting such symptoms have been tried, he is none the better, the sleep seems to be irregular and in refreshing restlessness during the early part of the night, and in the advanced stages of the disease, profuse sweats before morning, there is also frequent starting in the sleep, from disturbing dreams, the characteristic feature island that your patient almost always dreams of sexual intercourse. This is one of the earliest, as well as most constant symptoms. When it occurs most frequently, it is apt to be accompanied with pain. A glady discharge from the urethra may also be frequently discovered, especially if the patient examine when at school or after urinating. Other common symptoms are nervous headache, giddiness, ringing in the ears and a dull pain in the back part of the head. It is frequently the case that the patient suffers a stiffness in the neck, darting pains in the forehead, and also weak eyes are among the common symptoms. One very frequent, and perhaps early symptom especially in young females is solitariness a disposition to seclude themselves from society. Although they may be tolerably cheerful when in company, they prefer rather to be alone. The countenance has often a gloomy and worn-down expression. The patient's friends frequently notice a great change. Large livid spots under the eyes is a common feature. Sudden flashes of heat may be noticed passing over the patient's face. He is liable also to palpitations. The pulse is very variable, generally too slow. Extreme emaciation, without any other assignable cause for it, may be set down as another very common symptom. If the evil has gone on for several years, there will be a general unhealthy appearance of a character so marked as to enable an experienced observer at once to detect the cause. In the case of onanists especially there is a peculiar rancor emitted from the body, 
by which they may be readily distinguished. One striking peculiarity of all these patients island that they cannot look a man in the face. Cowardice is constitutional with them. Home treatment of the secret habit. 1. The first condition of recovery is a prompt and permanent abandonment of the ruinous habit. Without a faithful adherence to this prohibitory law on the part of the patient all medication on the part of the physician will assuredly fail. The patient must plainly understand that future prospects, character, health, and life itself, depend on an unfaltering resistance to the morbid solicitation, with the assurance, however, that a due perseverance will eventually render, what now seems like a resistless and overwhelming propensity, not only controllable but perfectly loathsome and indesirable. 2. Keep the mind employed by interesting the patient in the various topics of the day, and social features of the community. 3. Plenty of bodily out-of-door exercise, hoeing in the garden, walking, or working on the farm, of course not too heavy work must be indulged in for, if the patient is weak and very much emaciated, cod liver oil is an excellent remedy. 5. Diet. The patient should live principally on brown bread, oatmeal, graham crackers, wheat meal, cracked or boiled wheat, or hominy, and food of that character. No meats should be indulged in whatever. Milk diet if used by the patient is an excellent remedy. Plenty of fruit should be indulged in. Dry toast and baked apples make an excellent supper. The patient should eat early in the evening, never late at night. 6. Avoid all tea, coffee, or alcoholic stimulants of any kind. 7. Early to bed and early to rise, should be the motto of every victim of this vice. A patient should take a cold bath every morning after rising. A cold water injection in moderate quantities before retiring has cured many patients. 8. If the above remedies are not sufficient, a family physician should be consulted. 9. Never let children sleep together, if possible, to avoid it. Discourage the children of neighbors and friends from sleeping with your children. 10. Have your children rise early. It is the lying in bed in the morning that plays the mischief. Nocturnal emissions. Involuntary emissions of semen during amorous dreams at night is not at all uncommon among healthy men. When this occurs from one to three or four times a month, no anxiety or concern need be felt. When the emissions take place without dreams, manifested only by stained spots in the morning on the linen, or take place at school and are entirely beyond control, then the patient should at once seek for remedies or consult a competent physician. When blood stains are produced, then medical aid must be sought at once. Home treatment for nocturnal emissions. Sleep in a hard bed, and rise early and take a sponge bath in cold water every morning. Eat light suppers and refrain from eating late in the evening. Empty the bladder thoroughly before retiring. Bathe the spine and hips with a sponge dipped in cold water. Never sleep lying on the back. Avoid all highly seasoned food and read good books. And keep the mind well employed. Take regular and vigorous outdoor exercise every day. Avoid all coffee, tea, wine, beer and all alcoholic liquors. Don't use tobacco. And keep the bowels free. Prescription. Ask your druggist to put you up a good iron tonic and take it regularly according to his directions. Beware of advertising quacks. Beware of these advertising schemes that advertise a speedy cure for loss of youth, lost vitality, a cure for impotency renewing of old age, etc. Do not allow these circulating pamphlets and circulars to concern you the least. If you have a few nocturnal emissions, remember it is only a mark of vitality and health, and not a sign of a deathly disease.
as many of these advertising quacks would lead you to believe, use your private organs only for what your creator intended they should be used, and there will be no occasion for you to be frightened by the deception of quacks. Illustration, the two paths what will the boy become, at 15, study and cleanliness at 25, purity and economy at 36, honorable success at 60, venerable old age at 15, cigarettes and self-abuse at 25, impurity and dissipation at 36, vice and degeneracy at 60, moral physical wreck lost manhood restored. 1. Resolute DSISDNC. The first step towards the restoration of lost manhood is a resolute desistance from these terrible sins. Each time the temptation is overcome, the power to resist becomes stronger, and the fierce fire declines. Each time the sin is committed, its hateful power strengthens, and the fire of lust is increased. Remember, that you cannot commit these sins, and maintain health and strength. 2. Avoid being alone. Avoid being alone when the temptation comes upon you to commit self-abuse. Change your thoughts at once, keep the heart diligently, for out of it are the issues of life. 3. Avoid evil companions. Avoid evil companions. Lewd conversation. Bad pictures. Corrupt and vicious novels. Books. And papers. Abstain from all intoxicating drinks. These inflame the blood, excite the passions, and stimulate sensuality, weakening the power of the brain. They always impair the power of self-restraint. Smoking is very undesirable. Keep away from the moral pest houses. Remember that these houses are the great resort of fallen and depraved men and women. The music, singing, and dancing are simply a blind to cover the intemperance and lust, which hold high carnival in these guild hells. This, be it remembered, is equally true of the great majority of the theaters. 4. Avoid strong tea, or coffee. Take freely of cocoa, milk, and bread and milk, or oatmeal porridge, meats such as beef and mutton, use moderately. We would strongly recommend to young men a full habit, vegetarian diet, fruits in their season, partake liberally, also fresh vegetables, brown bread and toast, as also rice, and similar puddings, are always suitable. Avoid rich pastry and new bread. 5. Three meals a day are abundant. Avoid suppers, and be careful, if troubled with nightly emissions, not to take any liquid, not even water. After 7 o'clock in the evening, at latest, this will diminish the secretions of the body, when asleep, and the consequent emissions, which in the early hours of the morning usually follow the taking of any kind of drink, do not be anxious or troubled by an occasional emission, say, for example, once a fortnight, 6, rest on a hard mattress, keep the body cool when asleep, heat arising from a load of bedclothes, is most undesirable, turn down the counterpane and let the air have free course through the blankets. 7. Relieve the system. As much as possible relieve the system of urine before going to sleep. On rising, bathe if practicable. If you cannot bear cold water, take the least possible chill off the water. Cold water, however, is best. If bathing is, 